Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! One of the reality checks that God has given Terry and me is uh, uh, Quaybog Church at home. We love Quaybog and we love you. Like you matter big time to us. And that we have been invited by Kyle and Brittany to still stay here and, and be part of this church family is such a gift to us. And uh, when Kyle asked if I would uh, speak on one of these mornings, uh, couple of things. Uh, number one is, what was he thinking to go to three services so I need to remember three different times what to say? I was having a hard time with just two services. Uh, but to, to be with you this morning is, uh, I, I'm a blessed man, and Terry and I feel loved and welcomed here. So thank you. Thank you, Playbog Church. We love being here with you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, this morning, uh, we're in kind of a, a downer chapter of Scripture, uh, because we're going to be in, I'd like you to, if, uh, just help me here. You love me. Right? So, if, if you're like a real Christian, and you have a real Bible, would you hold up a real Bible, just to show that there are, that's not a real Bible. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Just so you know, there are real Bibles with paper and ink, the way the Holy Spirit is, oh. and, uh, just how different it is uh, now, because I, I smile, because when I come on Sunday mornings now, I don't usually bring my paper Bible, I bring my, my phone that has uh, a program on it, Logos, and I can have my, my notes and all that stuff in that phone, and, and listen, on. If you'd have told me that I'd be doing that uh, 10 years ago, I'd have said, that's never going to happen. I'm a paper, pencil, real guy, and that's the way it should be. The Holy Spirit inspired on paper. Or something, or something. Uh, it is really good to be with you, and uh, I love that I'm able to be here with, with uh, the Quaybog Church family this morning. Uh, at the same time, can you believe that... Uh, Brittany saying to me earlier and telling us, and then Kyle, uh, what, Brittany, was it Monday that he got in the accident? And so here he is driving in the big city of Berlin, and, uh, and one of the town trucks uh, sideswiped him and, and like, like, welcome to work camp, you know. Uh, God's going to do great things through you, Kyle. And, <laughs> and so it was a reminder for us to pray because uh, the enemy didn't want Kyle there, and uh, Kyle got to speak into the lives of teenagers all week long, just like wow God, and yet how messy it is. Can you do that? Can we go like wow God, we trust you, and then life turns messy, and still have God faithful? The answer is that has been the description of life, hasn't it? That God is good, and life is hard sometimes. Life is messy, messier than we ever factored in. Here in Genesis, uh, where it all began, uh, we 
said this earlier, but would you say it out loud with me again to go from the good, uh, it was all so good in Genesis chapter 1 that by the time you get to our passage in Genesis 4 and then just two more chapters, it's like, how do you take what is really good and end up with really messed up? But follow that with me here. Say it out loud. Then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. Not just good, very good. And evening passed and morning came. It marked the sixth day. Okay, so now jump five chapters. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently very good. No, consistently and totally evil. And so the Lord was sorry that he had ever made human beings and put them on the earth. And that last line, what does that say? It broke. broke his heart. And I go, pause, Dean. Just pause for a moment, Dean. There was a time in your life, and there have been times in my life that I know now I have broken God's heart. And I just go like, wow, Brittany, of uh, Brittany's choice of songs this morning. Uh, we are more than conquerors through Christ, our first one. And then God's grace is so amazing to, and did you get that last song? God really loves you. God really loves us. And so when we're having the struggle days or we feel like we've messed up beyond redemption, God says, I really love you and I will restore what is damaged, broken, and ruined. Isn't that amazing that God does that for us? More, better than we deserve. And so if I could put a title over this morning, Running from God, The Consequences of Sin, and, and how could you, how could we be like this? So we'll be introduced to this guy uh, that would have to have a sit-down with God. But if God were to have a sit-down with you and me this morning, can we just, before we get to Cain and his sit-down, can I just have you think about possibly if God were to do a sit-down with you this morning, I wonder, would you, would you relate to two of his questions? If you were to ask it of you, does this ever fit you? Has this ever fit you? Question number one. Why are you so frustrated all the time? Why do you get so angry so often? Why are you on edge so much? Because when I first say, why are you so angry? I go, I'm not angry. God says, Dean, this is a sit down. You're going to be honest on this one. Okay. Not angry as in outraged anger, but just that slow burn on the inside where I'm frustrated. That. Okay. And then question number two. Whoops. I skipped. Why are you giving up? Why, why, would you, why would you give up now? Why are you giving up so soon? Why would you turn away from what I called you to? Why? Why do you get angry, frustrated, and then why do you stiff arm my plan for you and give up. And I'm just wondering the timing of this morning. Uh, who is here? Who is here this morning? And you are tempted to walk away because you're just upset. Why has this happened? Why this? Why these? Why now? Why here? Why me? And we end up stuck because of it. 
And then a bigger question I ask myself, and I want you to ask yourself this morning. Are we, and we're going to connect this back to Genesis, are we, am I living my way? Or am I living God's way? And do I recognize the difference between, no, no, I am trying to do this my way. I prayed, but I'm not still doing it my way. I know I'm supposed to pray, but how do I do it? Can I live life God's way? And that brings us to Genesis. Uh, why does uh, this perspective of looking at early Genesis matter so much? Um, it answers some questions. Uh, big questions. Big life questions. Who made everything that we experience? Like, who, and someone might say, what, is ultimate reality? Uh, where did it all begin? How do you make sense of it all? Who made everything we experience? And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer in Scripture, you know. You can answer that question. Who made everything? God did. Why are human beings not just dirt? Is, is your life different from a blade of grass or from a tree branch? Is there any difference? You'll see why that matters in a moment. Why do we struggle with doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Or why is there this thing that we admit of good and evil? Is there good and evil? But you don't need to look very far. And then this uh, challenge. Um, I will be this coming Saturday having a funeral for a 25-year-old young woman. And life ended for her just a couple of weeks ago. And I sat with her mom and her stepdad on on uh, Thursday or on Friday. And uh, how do you look into the eyes of a mom who just lost her 25-year-old daughter who had just come through addiction and, uh, and, and was getting her life in place? And just after getting her life in place, uh, her life is taken by somebody. She was murdered. And so how do you, well, it raises this question, is there more? Because if that's all there is to life, life stinks, doesn't it? If all there is to life is life here, sometimes life isn't good, is it? So early Genesis, uh, it gives us a worldview or how we look at the world in four words. The first four words of Scripture, say them out loud. In the beginning, God. That's the way it starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's, and that gives us our worldview. Uh, I don't know if you uh, use phrases and terms like, what is, because the question that gets asked in philosophy classes or even in uh, science classes, what is ultimate reality? What does it all boil down to? How did it all get started? And this shapes our worldview. When you say, I am a follower of Yahweh God, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a Christian worldview, and this is what anchors the worldview. In the beginning, God. In fact, if I could say, before the beginning, God. And can I say, after the beginning, God. Can I also say, after the end, God. Because God is ultimate reality. Worldview number one, and, and again, if you use terms like this, a reductionist worldview, which means all there is is matter and energy. That's all there is. Just matter and energy. And there's nothing more. And scientism, 
I did not know what that word meant until just a few years ago. Scientism. It isn't Christian science. It isn't science. It is a belief system that says science can explain everything. And the reductionist says, and you reduce it all down to physical matter and energy. So your life is the same as a blade of grass. But we want to move beyond that and let you have some meaning just so that you don't go hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. So pretend that there's meaning because it makes life better for me. Right? Reductionist. Scientism. Worldview number one, human beings are basically good and will do the right thing when there is no such thing as good and there is no such as the right thing. But, come on, we've got to get along here, don't we? Smile. Whereas a biblical worldview, human beings are image bearers of God. But, since Genesis chapter 3, human beings are basically flawed and are prone to do the wrong thing. Right? How old do you have to get to get an attitude? Help me. Not very old, do yeah? you? Know, if you have little kids, how old before they have their own, a mind of their own, a will of their own, and they're pretty self-focused, self-centered? Uh, because isn't it true that uh, I was a perfect child? But if I could just relate to you for a moment. So, one of the first things little babies will say, and you want them to say, Mama, Dada, and that's not what they say. The first word they learn is, Mine. Why? Because we're, we're born with this proneness to want, it's, it's about me. And that's going to come out, you'll see it this morning. We bear God's image, but now we have this old part of us that wants to do our own thing, go our own way. Last week, Kyle said two different, made two different statements. Genesis 3 had consequences. And here's Kyle's word. Sin had consequences. So, Genesis 3 and the events of Genesis 3, the... the Temptation of the serpent of Satan and then Eve falling to that. Uh, uh, Adam being right there and watched his wife go down that road, said nothing, and then participated in it, and then blamed her, saying, It's that woman you gave me. Real noble men, right? Again, I'm the exception. Genesis 3 and that step into disobedience and going their own way would mar them, mark them, and it would hold consequences that would last for a long time. Sin. Sin had and has consequences. So, today, we will be in Genesis chapter 4. Would you do this uh, with me? If you have your Bible, can you have your Bible marked in two places? Genesis 4 and Romans 6. Okay? Romans 7. Romans 6 and 7. Uh, But in Genesis 4, human beings... Uh, chose why? Why did it have to be like this? But chose rebellion against God. And what you find the rest of chapter 4 is it would become godless society. Godlessness in the rest of chapter 4 and then the genealogy of chapter 5 which 
is messed up, and then chapter 6 is even more messed up. And it's like, how can you go from how good it was to just put human beings in it and we mess it up? The spread of godless society. And that's from my Bible knowledge commentary is where I got that. Uh, but here's my question. How can it get this bad this fast? That's, how could it happen so quickly that go down the wrong road to where it could only be awful? To go from the perfection of Genesis 1 and 2 to the forbidden fruit of chapter 3 and the sin of disobedience to God to in our passage today, not just anger, not just quitting and rebellion, but what? Murder. Murder of Cain's own brother. How could it get to be that bad? To Genesis chapter 6, the Lord observed the, the extent of human wickedness on earth and He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. NIV says, that's New Living, NIV says, was only evil all the time. It's like, really? Really? Are we like that? Me, Cain. This guy. Cain. Firstborn of Adam and Eve. So the perfect couple, Adam and Eve, and their firstborn, Cain. And I wanted to just mention, if you, if you do a, a, a word study of Cain, he's mentioned several times in chapter 4, and then he disappears, and he's gone until the New Testament. He is mentioned three different times. And of those three times, it's in these three passages. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, And Abel by faith offered up his offering to God. Cain didn't. He offered a selfish, self-centered, what he wanted to do, sacrifice to God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why? Because his own actions were evil. His brothers were righteous. Don't be like Cain. And then the final time Cain gets mentioned in Jude verses 10 and 11. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. And, and he's talking about evil men who were influencing the church to go the wrong way. And he writes in verses uh, 10 and 11, These men speak abusively against authority and against celestial beings. It's like they're speaking above their pay grade and they're, they're living out rebellion. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. So Cain, if you could put this caption over this man, it would be rebellion against God. That's what defined him. Rebellion against God. And the amazing piece here for me is how gracious God is in saying, Cain, let's do a sit-down. You'll see. Why? why? Why is God the giver of second and third chances? And I'm saying to you this morning, I'm really glad He is. The reason why is surviving this is God is in the business of giving second and third and fifth and thirtieth chances when we fail. Scene one, Cain and Abel. And it starts well right here in Genesis 4.1. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. 
plow God. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And so it starts so well. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. Cain became a farmer. Scene two. So we started well. Cain's good. Abel's good. Scene two. Two offerings. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented... And I just want you to notice words because this is a little... Uh, this can be a, a little deep to wade through to say, what What really? Did God ever explain to Cain that he had to bring certain kinds of offerings rather than another kind? And it seems yes. There's no explanation for why Eve should have known about the fruit because Eve wasn't there when God told Adam. And same way, did Cain know that he was supposed to only bring a blood sacrifice? Did he know that? He didn't. He brought his crops. But I want you to notice the detail. Cain presented some of his crops as a gift. Just that's it. Some of his crops. Notice the difference. Abel. Abel also brought a gift. He didn't just bring it. He brought the best. And not just the best. He brought the best of the firstborn, which is the best of the best. And I wonder, is that what God is trying to get to us? Don't just bring God's second best, third best, you know, where you just to bring him leftovers. What was wrong with this maybe, and I don't know because it's not explained, Cain brought God leftovers. He just kind of put fit God in, and you'll see how it fits his personality in just a moment. And yet Abel brought what is better. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very repentant and humble and broken in a good way. And it's, no, that's not what it led Cain to do. Cain's response was, this made Cain very angry. In fact, you'll see in a moment, the, that word angry is a word that means and Cain burned with anger against God. Okay. Didn't get the okay, the approval, the thumbs up. And as soon as he didn't get his thumbs up from God, it wasn't that he was brought to repentance and brokenness. He was brought to bitterness and anger, and then he looked dejected. That's a nice way of saying, and he quit. It's like, no, I'm done with God. So, Abel's sacrifice pleased God. And Abel did please God. Do you see that back in Hebrews chapter 11? Cain's sacrifice didn't please God. And it didn't leave, lead Cain to make a good decision. He became very angry in that term. He burned with anger. And then his face, he's just so disappointed, downcast, and quit, which takes us right to scene three. And I want you to notice, when you're disappointed, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, however that may look on you, what do we do and how God will do? Okay, let's sit down. You need to listen to me, God says. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Why are you quitting? You will be accepted if you do what is right. This is New Living Translation. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. 
Sin is crouching, and that word means lying, just lying there at your door. It isn't a word that means it's crouching, crouching, ready to get you. It's just sin is right there, just waiting at your door for you to open the door, eager to control you. But you must, what's that word? You must subdue it. That means bring it under control, under control. And you must be anger's sin's master. ESV says it this way. It doesn't help that much just to let you see that this is a, a tough one to translate. If you do well, pain, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, meaning it's not going to help you, and you must rule over it. Well, whenever I read that passage... It's the parallel in Romans chapter 6 that I go to. Then here's what Romans 6 says. Uh, Paul writing to these believers, you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in. Sounds familiar to what was happening with Cain. Don't give in to the the sinful nature this sinful nature, and do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. I I marvel at how God says truth. Sin is not your master anymore, for you no longer live under the requirements of Old Testament law. Instead, you live under the freedom of what? Aren't you glad? Again, I I go, Brittany, uh, choosing that This is amazing grace. And God really loves you. That makes you more than a conqueror in Christ. You live under, you and I today live under the freedom of God's grace. So you have to sit down with Cain. And it should have been, don't you think, that Cain listening to God and God challenging him in how he was handling this and then to go out and make some pretty good choices. But here's what happens. So after this, how many days go by? We don't know. One day, Cain suggested to his brother Abel, Hey, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And I go, Are you kidding me? Most people have seen the Bible have a lot to say about how messed up humans are. And that's true. It's also true that the Bible's vocabulary about this topic sounds odd to modern people, using words like sin, iniquity, or transgression. And so the Bible's perspective on the human condition is often ignored or treated as ancient and backwards. This is really unfortunate, because through these words, the biblical authors are offering us a deeply profound diagnosis of human nature. Iniquity describes behavior that's crooked, while transgression refers to breaking trust. And sin? This is actually the most common of these bad words in the Bible. So let's focus on it for a few minutes. Sin translates the Hebrew word chata and the Greek word hamartia. The most basic meaning of sin isn't religious at all. Chata simply means to fail or miss the goal. Like when the Israelite tribe of Benjamin trained a small army of slingshot experts, they could sling a stone at a hare and not chata. That is, fail or miss. Or there's a biblical proverb that warns against making hasty decisions because you're likely to tie your way, miss your destination. So in the Bible, sin is a failure to fulfill a goal. But what's the goal? 
Well, on page one of the Bible, we learn that every human is an image of God, a sacred being who represents the Creator and is worthy of respect. And so in this way of seeing the world, sin is a failure to love God and others by not treating them with the honor they deserve. You can see this idea in the famous code of conduct given to the Israelites the Ten Half of them identify ways you can fail at loving God, and the other half name ways you can fail at loving people. And the fact that both kinds of failure are combined shows that failing to honor God is deeply connected to failing to honor people. This is why in the Bible, sin against people is sin against God. Like when Joseph refuses to sleep with the wife of Potiphar, he says, how could I sin against God? In Joseph's mind, failing to honor a human made in God's image is a failure to love God. And so, sin is a failure to be truly human. But there's more. The fascinating thing about sin in the Bible is that most of the time that people are failing, they either don't know it, or even worse, they think they're succeeding. Like when Pharaoh wants to build Egypt's economy and protect national security, in his mind, this justifies enslaving the Israelites. He thinks it's good, and he's totally unaware that it's an epic fail. Or when King Saul is chasing David around the wilderness trying to kill him, he thought he was bringing a criminal to justice, until he realizes he's the corrupt one, and he says, I have sinned. I am the failure. So sin is about more than just doing bad things. It describes how we easily deceive ourselves and spin illusions to redefine our bad decisions as good ones. So why are humans such bad judges between moral failure and success? Well, the first appearance of the word sin in the Bible offers an insight. There are these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Their parents had just given in to this beastly temptation to redefine good and evil by their own wisdom, and now Cain is faced with a similar choice. He's jealous and angry that God has favored his brother, and so God warns him, if you don't choose what is good, Kata is crouching at the door, it wants you. But you can rule over it. So in these stories, sin, or moral failure, is depicted as this wild, hungry animal that wants to consume humans. And we know how that story ends. The Bible is trying to tell us that failed human behavior, our tendency towards self-deception, it runs deep. It's rooted in our desires and selfish urges that compel us to act for our own benefit at the expense of others. And it leads to this chain reaction of relational breakdown. This is why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes hamartia as a power or a force that rules humans. In his words, we are slaves to sin. He even says sin lives in us, so that the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. So with the word sin, the biblical authors are offering a robust description of the human condition. It's a failure to be humans who fully love God and others. It's our inability to judge whether we're succeeding or failing, and it's that deep, selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior. This is not a pretty picture of ourselves, but if we're honest, it's realistic. This is why in the Bible, the story of Jesus is such good news. He's depicted as the Creator because... Man in rebellion against God. That's Genesis 4. I'm going to do this my way. I will do this my way. And I get angry when things don't go my way. These early sin patterns in Genesis become the very sin patterns that get mentioned in Romans. So this parallel between Genesis 4 and Romans 5, 6, and 7. Uh, look how Paul says this. I don't understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I 
I actually do what I hate, the very things I don't want to do. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in, in my sin nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. Back to Genesis. Sin wants to be what? Your master. Sin wants to control you. This, this compulsion to do it your way wants to be the master of your life. And God says, and I want to set you free. The truth is, since Jesus, we are dead to the authority of the sin nature. We do not need to obey sin nature anymore. Now we are alive to God. Uh, Romans 6, 12. Don't, you do not need to serve sin anymore. Now, listen to me. <laughs> Knowing that a number in our church family, knowing a number in my own family, knowing that I come from a family that the reality is sin has marred us. Uh, to live with addiction and alcoholism and isms is a reminder that when God sets us free from our addictions, and our, our isms that we are absolutely free as a gift from Him. And God does not want us to go back. Romans 6.13. Isn't, isn't this incredible how Scripture says this? Use your whole body for the glory of God. <laughs> Sin is not your master anymore. Cain failed. He failed. He failed abysmally. Don't be like Cain. Cain failed. Here's what I want to leave you with. Jesus didn't fail. Jesus won. Jesus wins. And He loves you. Your life is in His hands. You matter to Him. Don't go back to Genesis 4. Do not become Cain who is bitterness, self-centered, I will do this my way, and a whole God at a distance. And, and I just wonder, uh, the timeliness of me talking about this today, if someone is here or somebody is watching, and you know your life is best described by, defined by, you trying to make this your way, you trying to do this on your own, and perhaps even stiff-arming what God is convicting you about. And may I say to you, don't go down that road because it is the road to destruction and it will hurt you. Jesus offers so much better. Let me qualify. Jesus does not always offer easy, but He offers best and He loves you. Lord, I pray this morning, wherever anyone is here in their mind and heart, that they will know that the God of heaven, the God of glory, loves them and that they have a purpose on earth today. Thank you. We love you, Jesus. We want to get this right and we want to do this better. Help us. I pray that by the authority of Jesus' name, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Messiah. Amen. I love you. God bless you today. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve.
So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.